Welcome, sports fans. You have entered the man cave of the one and only Fan Man, broadcasting from his lazy boy recliner somewhere in the Vale of Paradise known as Valparaiso, Indiana. Hey, sports fans, welcome to the Fan Man Podcast. You can check the Fan Man Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and most other platforms. And this is the show uh, that we've been waiting a long time to do. We did it last year. We're going to go over all the games uh, that have been played in the NCAA tournament, right? We had the first four. We had the first round games last Thursday and Friday. We had the second round games on Saturday and Sunday. And if we have uh, a few moments at the end, which we will, and we'll just set it up for the Sweet 16 and what we think's on the horizon here. And uh, to go along on this journey, just like last year, was my man Chad. Never tell a lie, Lincoln. How you doing, Chad? Doing great, Bill. Right now, I feel like I, I should be a professional wrestler walking out to the CBS March Madness theme song. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So we've got a lot of games to go through. We're going to talk about the sure first do. first four games. 16 games on uh, Thursday, 16 games on Friday, 8 games on Saturday, and 8 games on Sunday. That just culminates it all the way to the uh, Sweet 16. And this is not a show, Chad, where you're going to want laryngitis. No. This, this, point, this show today, if you, if you want somebody that's playing a hard or squeamish, yeah. buckle up. Right, buckle <laughs> up and get ready. So... Without further ado, are you ready to talk about the first four? I'm ready to talk about any four. Any four. Okay, so let's let's get into it. And the game that I want we're going to talk about first is the games that were played on March 16th, the first two games of the first four games. And it was Texas Southern versus Texas A&M CC, right? And uh, that's Corpus yep. Christi? Yeah. Yep. And it was Texas Southern, 76, Texas A&M, CC, 67. And, um, you know, it's sort of like Texas Southern just kind of outlasted them a little bit. At the end of the first half, it was 32-30 to 30 for Texas Southern. And then Texas Southern put together a pretty good uh, second half of that game, huh? They sure did. And it was definitely one of those types of games where uh, you just never knew what was going to happen from one minute to the next because the two teams – Looked relatively even throughout the game, so it was like that's the reason why these two are sixteen seeds. Is you're just trying to get somebody a win so they can say they won an NCAA tournament game, and in this case, one of the Texas teams was going to win. Well, that's for sure, right? One of them was going to win, and uh, it was Texas Southern and Byron Etienne, twenty-one points, five for nine from the floor, nine for nine, Chad at the free throw line, huh? Yeah, some of these schools that are not so much on the radar all the time, they're the teams that value the free throw a whole lot more because they're not they're not playing the game for the highlight reel. They're playing the game because they love it. I mean, these two schools, you're not going to hear about too many players from going to the pros. And if they right. do, it's probably going to be overseas. Right. That's right. And a uh, good win for Texas Southern. Bryson Gresham, 13 rebounds, six block shots. How's that for a nice night? And if he had 10 points or more in that game, a, a nice double-double with a possibility that he could have had a triple if he 
could have gotten four more blocks that day. Right, right. So Texas Southern moves on, right? They did. I mean, that was one of those games where it's like you just kind of watch it because it's something to be on TV. Right, right. Not a whole lot of uh, well, excitement one, it was, other than the fact that it was a close game. Right, and it was a way, though, to wet our, wet our beak, so to speak, right, that the NCAA tournament yeah. – has started, and that was the biggest thing about that game. Is as soon as you saw the sneakers uh, tweaking on the court, you knew the NCAA tournament has started. Yeah, this this was the game that if you were somebody who said it like Buffalo Wild Wings for both teams, this was probably your wing game. Yeah. The next one was your pizza game, or not your pizza game. Right. But if it was someplace where it was pizza and wings, this would have been your pizza game. Yep. Yep. So. What what game is what, what do you want to call the next game then? That's the pizza game. That would be the pizza game of my day. All right. Yep. You're right. That, that was the pizza game, and the pizza game we're talking about was the nightcap on the first evening of the Final Four, and that was Indiana, the Indiana Hoosiers, and the Wyoming Cowboys. Right? Indiana had a five point lead at the end of the first uh, first half, and basically, um, you know, just kind of like. Kept uh, Wyoming at bay and uh, Indiana pulling it out 66 to 55. And Wyoming had a bunch of turnovers in this game that really hurt them. And, you know, I want to say it's because of the Hoosier defense, but some of them were just, you know, a little bit crazy there, right? So it was also the fact that Indiana was setting a pace that Wyoming was not used to. Because they're used to so many other teams just saying, okay, you're going to play to our level. And if we make you struggle, that's just how it's going to be. But in most cases, Wyoming's like, nope. We're doing our game, and you're going to just have to deal with it. And in this case, Indiana was ready for it. They set the pace, and the turnovers just followed like crazy. I mean, uh, Hunter Malnato for Wyoming had yeah. 10 turnovers himself. Wow. Wow. Led the team in scoring, but also had 10 turnovers and 5 assists. His yeah. assist turnover ratio was terrible. Yeah. Yep. That's right. And um, for the Hoosiers, Trace... Jackson Davis, 29 points, 10 for 16 from the floor, 9 from 11 at the free throw line, 9 rebounds and 1 block shot. And I suppose the old saying is he did everything but sell the popcorn, huh? Well, he might have sold the popcorn in this game, too, because he didn't take any three-pointers, so he wasn't hanging out around the arc at all. Yeah, yep. Uh, Wyoming, you know, I mean, the Hoosiers, though, only 15% from the three-point stripe. That's like you're saying. That, that's not good, right? No, it's not. When they were a collective, what I have here from my notes that I took on it, they were a collective one of four from three. No, they were more than that, but it was just not very good when you're shooting 15% from three, and most teams, it's like live or die. In this case, they pretty much died if they tried to shoot a three. Right. That's right. Yep. So the Cowboys had a Wyoming Cowboys had a good season, but uh, out early here in the first four, right? Yeah, I mean, the thing that probably would have benefited them a little more was putting some more bench guys in, but they may not have had a strong enough bench because they only played seven players deep into their bench, into their lineup altogether, whereas Indiana used ten. Yep. Yep. And their second best player for the game was a freshman, Jordan Geronimo. So he's somebody to look at in the future. He's a six-six freshman that could be pretty big for him. He was seven of eleven for the field, one of four from three, and uh, he didn't have a free throw, but he had two attempts. But he also had seven rebounds in eighteen minutes. 
for a freshman in a game like that, that's pretty darn good. So. Yep. Yep. Gotta give him a little credit off the bench. Yeah. Yep. All right. So we got two games in already, Chad. That we do. Right. So let's go to the next night. This would be Wednesday, the 16th of March, for the uh, last two games of the first four. And the first one we're going to talk about, I mean, you talk about an offensive display here. Um, it was Wright State, 93, Bryant, 80, uh, 82. And uh, Wright State, you know, the game was 44-42 Wright State in the first half. But then in the second half, Wright State put a 49th spot in there on uh, Bryant. And really, you had two guys going at it. You had Peter Kiss for Bryant and Tanner Holden for uh, Wright State. And both of them had an offensive explosion here. But at the end of it, just too much Wright State. Yeah, I mean, it was just one of those games where it looked like the two teams couldn't miss. They tried, but they just kept putting points up on the board. I mean, when Wright State has 48% from the field and Bryant is 44%, you don't get too many games where both teams are shooting 40% from the field. Yeah, yeah. It's just unheard of, unless it's one of those cases where you're not really playing any defense and the two teams can shoot at will. Yeah. But in this case, it's like, wow. And when... When Wright State also is forty three percent from three. Yeah, that's amazing. That's top game. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we got yeah, to go ahead. Keep that for both of these teams. They both shot over seventy percent from the free throw line. Right. You, you don't see that too often anymore in a lot of games because most of the teams either don't go to the free throw line for fear of having to actually shoot the free throw, or. You, the, one team is not going to get 70%. The other one might have 80% like we saw here. But it was like, really, they both hit their free throws really well. So you, you can't go wrong in a game like that with having high scores like this. And I'd love to see more of that. But somewhere or other, in the, not only in the NCAA, but everywhere else in basketball, free throws have become very pitifully bad to worry about. And it's like those things win you games. This game was so close because they were making their free throws. Right, right. And uh, Peter Kiss, that guy has something else to watch, though. He's very animated, isn't he? He is. I think he's a fifth or sixth year senior is what it was and transferred to Bryant from another school. And he just fired crowds up. Right. If, I don't know how many of you may have watched the Northeast Conference Championship game but he had that crowd fired up. But, of course, there were some other things that happened in that game to fire up the crowd a little more. Right. Their game. <laughs> Towards the end, yeah. You know, there's not a whole lot you can do about that. Right. But uh, watching him do the push-ups after making a basket, I mean, that's a little much, isn't it? Usually is, yeah. But when he's trying to get the crowd built up a little bit, he, he knows how to do it well. So. Well, that was good they I mean, weren't playing. He wasn't doing that to the Michigan Wolverines because uh, – our buddy over there, uh, Jawan Howard, might have had the last laugh on that one. Yeah, he, he might have slapped uh, the Bryant head coach. <laughs> right, but right. Combine these two teams, they shot 55 free throws. Yeah, yeah. And they missed seven. Right. So, Chad, why don't... Side, yeah. The other. All right, so Wright State moves on, and, and uh, Bryant won their conference, had a great season, and... Um, We'll see what happens next year with them again, right? And the 
they get some kind of a transfer to come in and do something, uh, they're going to get back to the dance at some point, but I don't know if it'll be next year. Yeah. You yep. don't have that top scorer back. Yep. All right, so let's go to the, the last uh, first four game of the night. And, um, you know, I'm going to put this game up there as one of the better games that we've seen, right? So let's do this. As we go through here, let's uh, we'll talk about, we'll like, you know, signify what was really a great game. We'll signify what was maybe a lousy game. And then, of course, we've got upsets we're going to be talking about all along the way here. And uh, Kentucky and Auburn, you know what we're talking about, right? So this game, yeah, this Rutgers-Notre Dame game, I, you know, I knew going into this, it was going to be a good game, right? You didn't really know what to expect in this. And boy, oh boy, we really got our money's worth out of this game, huh? It felt like it was scoring at will. Yeah. The way that game was going. Yeah, and let me get the score out there real quick. It was uh, this game went into double overtime. Rutgers was up uh, by five at the end of the first half. Uh, Notre Dame came back, and it was tied after uh, after two after two uh, period uh, after two halves. So they go to overtime, and it's still tied after the first overtime, and then the second overtime. Uh, Notre Dame outscored Rutgers by one basket, winning the game eighty nine to eighty seven. Huh. It was one of those games that it's like, if the rest of the tournament's going to be like this, we're not only in for the best tournament we've seen in years, but a lot of late nights. Yeah. If we're going to double overtime games, you're going to see that last game, potentially in the Sweet 16 or the Elite 8 or even the Final Four, not getting done until the next day. Yeah. And Ron Harper Jr. hit a big shot in there, huh? But still wasn't enough. (laughs) Yeah, he's... He hits big shots all the time, but just all of a sudden it just doesn't end up working out in their favor. So yeah, he he deals with it, but yeah, he he made it worth watching that last thirty seconds of that game. Right, so. right. Caleb McConnell twenty for Rutgers, twenty three points, ten for twelve from the floor, and uh, eleven rebounds in a block, and then Paul Atkinson for Notre Dame, twenty six points, and this field goal percentage is unreal. 13 for 15, um, and six rebounds for him as well. So uh, this was, like I said, this was a great game. And if you look at it, Rutgers ends up out-rebounding Notre Dame, out-three-points them, and uh, ends up still losing this game. Rutgers, um, you know, and maybe one of the problems was Rutgers had 13 turnovers to Notre Dame's five, right? Yeah, plus the fact that uh, the Rutgers bench didn't score any points. All their points came from their five starters, so there wasn't yeah. really a chance for the bench to do much there when the uh, starters could have used a little time off. And then for Notre Dame, their bench points all came from Nick Lazuski at 18 points and six rebounds. He could have been a starter if they wanted him to, but they decided to put up a uh, reserve this game. So. Yep, that's right. So. All right, so that wraps up the final four. Uh, final four, the first four, not the final four. The first four, and then we move to Thursday is the day that everybody, you know, just wants to stay home and watch basketball. And unfortunately, I couldn't do it. But, but I watched that. I mean, I, I watched the games on tape, and then I watched the games at, at night. So, I got my uh, basketball uh, NCAA basketball uh, first Thursday. I like to call it the first Thursday. Got that in there. So boy, oh boy. So. Here we go, Chad. Uh, buckle your seatbelt. So we got a lot of games to talk about now. And the first game on uh, Thursday, the early game, 
was like, okay, so Michigan gets in the tournament, right? And we really don't know what to expect out of Michigan. They are an 11th seed and kind of controversial thing, you know, at the end of the year there with uh, with their coach, uh, you know, Jawan Howard and so forth. And now they're playing, um, now they're playing the uh, Buffalo, I'm sorry, not the Buffaloes, the Rams, Colorado State uh, Rams. And it was Michigan. You know, the kind of funny thing about this game is that Colorado State was up by seven at the end of the first half. But Storman is Michigan came storming out in the second half and just, you know, um, just went at it. They had a 46 points in the second half, ends up winning. Uh, Michigan Wolverines win 75 to 63. And um, we got a good look again at Hunter Dickinson. And the guy is big dude, man. 21 points, 8 for 10 from the field, 5 for 5 from the free throw line. And um, he's a pretty tough player uh, underneath the basket for uh, Michigan for sure. Tough guy. And uh, Michigan wins. Yeah, I mean, this was a game I wish I would have been able to watch it when it happened, but I was at work. So I didn't see too much of this, but just going into it, I thought Michigan may not do anything, yeah. may not be ready for it. All of a sudden, here they are adjusting appropriately to taking out Colorado State in the second half. When everybody thought, well, here's Michigan early out. The Big Ten's ready to go. They're going to be out two teams already, and they haven't even really gotten started yet. Yep. And uh, one of the problems, like, you know, in the second half for Colorado State was, you know, you want to credit the Michigan defense, but um, Colorado State was just cold, you know, in the second half, and that was what ended up killing them in this one. Yeah, I see here that a couple other guys, they were 300 for 11 or 5 for 11 from the field. It's like you're shooting less than 50% in your field goals. You're not getting very far. No, no. All right, so let's keep it rocking here. Let's go to the next one, and it was um, the Providence uh, Friars 66, that good old South Dakota State Jackrabbits um, out of the Summit League 57. And um, unfortunately for South Dakota State, they just could not uh, get it together, you know, uh, down 31 to 23 at the end of the first half for uh, South Dakota State. And, you know, they had a great season shooting the basketball especially from the three-point stripe but in this game credit the Providence defense I suppose because San Diego State only shot I'm sorry South Dakota State only shot 30 percent from three and uh, that is unlike anything they did during the season so really what you saw I guess in this game was Big East versus Summit I think right yeah I mean it was a case for San Diego State stuff and pressure defense they hadn't seen all season so they were most likely in the Summit League just running and gunning and going up and down the court, and nobody stopped them. But Providence puts on a press that it's like, what? What are we looking at here? What are we doing wrong? And they just couldn't get any shots up anymore. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. 66 to 57, Providence. Um, and, you know, Baylor, Shireman still managed to have a pretty decent game for South Dakota State, though. Yeah, some of the schools like South Dakota State where they're known but they're not always on the map, they always have some guy that comes out of nowhere and just can shoot the lights out or ends up always being their leading scorer. In this case, it was Baylor Shireman. And he had a really good game for the sake of what we're looking at here with 18 points and 7 to 17 from the field with 10 boards. Yeah. I mean, his downfall might have been he only had three assists and two turnovers. 
but he, he uh, showed up when the team needed him most. Yep. Otherwise, they would have really got throttled this game. Yep. Going back real quick to that Michigan game, you know, you, you start to wonder, was Colorado State a worthy six seed, you know? Yeah, I mean, that could have just been benefit of their schedule, but Michigan also had a very viable non-conference schedule. It was just their conference season. They beat themselves a lot of times. Right. So, yeah. they, they struggled where they needed to win most. Yep, yep. All right, time for the next game, and uh, this is still on going, still on Thursday. It was Memphis, uh, the Memphis Tigers, and the Boise State Broncos, right? Uh huh. Yep, yep. Yeah. And Memphis just came out smoking, ended up getting taking a thirty-eight to nineteen lead uh, at the end of the first half. But then Boise State put, you know, had a pretty good second second half. But Memphis held off Boise State and rallied for that sixty-four to fifty-three win. Uh, for Memphis, right? And then you're starting to think, okay, this was an 8-9 game, and you had Memphis as the 9 and Boise State as the 8, so I suppose this is another so-called upset here, right? They would call it an upset because of the rankings, but yeah. in reality, it's more Memphis getting back to the reality of we're not in the American Athletic Conference anymore. We're in the NCAA tournament. We need to show up and win this game because of the fact that we let ourselves lose games that were important in conference towards the end of the season when we had a chance to be that team to shut Houston out of being in the, a top-level spot that they get into. Right, right. Conference, so. Mm-hmm. DeAndre Williams for uh, Memphis, 14.7 for 8 for the field. He led the scoring for Memphis State. And, um, you know, Memphis State shot 47% from the floor compared to uh, Boise State had an off night, 31%. Um, so that was a key thing there, too. So, um, you know, good for good for Memphis State. And then I started thinking, okay, well, maybe Memphis State's going to make some noise and we'll talk about them again, right? Yeah, and the biggest potential for Did Boise I say State Memphis State? Physical for them? Did I say Memphis no. State? You did. They used to be Memphis it, State. Yeah, back when when Penny Hardaway was playing there, they were Memphis State. Right. Then they just shortened <laughs> Memphis. Right, they lost. Brand. So, you're not wrong. Yeah, but I'm just old school. Boise probably ran into some more speed and physicality that they hadn't seen all season, so it, it affected their ability to play well. Right. So, so far, if we stop right here, we had two... Uh, so-called up, well, upsets, eight nines, not an upset, but a nine beat an eight, and then we had Michigan uh, beating uh, eleven, Michigan beating a number six Colorado State. So you start thinking, okay, well, let's see what happens the rest of the day, right? Exactly. Right. And we have good stuff coming. We have got good stuff coming, but not quite yet, because the next game we're going to talk about is the Baylor Bears eighty-five and Norfolk State forty-nine, and really in this game. Uh, no chance there for uh, Northfolk State in this one. Matthew uh, Meyer, 22 points, 8 for 12. Um, I really like that guy. I mean, I really liked him last year. He had a great role for them last year, too. And uh, this was just blowout city, right? Yeah, I mean, there was no way that Northfolk State was going to win this game because Baylor's just too physical and too quick. And Northfolk State could only really shoot from outside, and they didn't do that well. No. They were 18 of 50. Seven overall, five of twenty-two from three. Eight of ten from the free throw line. So it's like they've gotten fouled quite a bit and been able to stop the clock. It'd been okay. Yep. But they just couldn't hit anything else. 
right. some of that might have been nerves. Some of it might have just been we're playing the defending champions. We need to show up, and we don't. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So good season again for uh, Norfolk State. They did well in their in their conference, but just too much Baylor. And uh, we'll talk about Baylor in a little while again. You know, the next game, no upset here. The Tennessee Volunteers, good old Rocky Top 88, Longwood, who we really, you know, that was our team, my team, your team, Longwood uh, 56. And this was something else, though, how Tennessee just came out and put a whammy on Longwood. It was 54 to 29 at the first half. And that's, you know, you really got to do that. When you got that high seed, you just got to come out there and smoke them. Don't give anybody a chance to get confidence, right? They just went out there and smoked them uh, in this game. And that's Santiago, Santiago Vescovi, 18 points, 6 for 10 uh, in this game. And that's a, that's a big dude too, huh? Yeah, I mean, Tennessee had the bodies as long with not seeing Vescovi for crazy about this game and I don't care who you're playing Tennessee was 58% from three I mean you're yeah, gonna miss from there right 60% from the 24 what's that they were 14 and 24 from three-point line yeah and how about how about their field <laughs> go ahead Longwood was seven for 22 from three so it's like if you can live or die by three it. Yeah. But in this case, Longwood just couldn't hit it. No. Tennessee, 60% from the floor other than threes. So even, you know, their field goal percentage was so high. Just, yeah. just an all out, all out game there. So Baylor and Tennessee, no problem, right? Things are coming down. Things are coming down a little bit. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, what happens on Saturday is we have. What I would consider the first shocker, right? Yeah, this game definitely was. I got home just in time to catch the end of it. So, yeah. This, this one really had me going. Yeah, this was the shocker in this one. I, I really think this was the first, uh, the big shock of the, of the tournament here. And I'm talking about Richmond Spiders, 67, the Iowa Hawkeyes, 63. And, um, you know, this is, I really think that this was one of those games that was just your classic, what I what I talk about a lot, is when you just, as a higher seed, when you don't go out there and play tough in the beginning, you don't play aggressive, you know, at the end of the half, it's 29-28 Richmond, and Iowa's just kind of sleepwalking, and then they kind of just slept through the whole second half, too, a little bit, you know, and then at the end, they tried to put a charge, charge together, but it wasn't enough, right? Yeah, Iowa just, it felt like they knew they needed to win it, but it was like they were expecting Big Ten officials to show up and, and determine this game for them. And it's like, you're in the NCAA tournament now. You don't have conference officials. You have teams of officials put together that may not have worked together before. Right. And, you know, you're I'm getting the best. Yeah, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, you know, I was looking at the 5 12 matchups and, you know, I always. You always want to pick a, a 12 or two, but I didn't see this 5-12 going in the way of Richmond. I thought that Iowa coming off that big 
tournament they had in the Big Ten Championship and getting that, I figured they'd get by this one with no problem. Yeah, it's kind of what the thought was, but the fact that you're playing me six feet from the A-10, they get in on a surprise. It's like, maybe momentum is going to go in their favor. You know, because they've got this chip on their shoulder that we can be the lowest, or the, the worst seed in any place and come out with a victory. Right, right. That's right. So, after one, two, three, four, five, six games on Saturday, we've got a nine beaten and eight. We've got Michigan advancing with an 11 seed. And now we've got the 5 12, uh, the 12 winner, Richmond. So, right now, it's like, okay, man, this is setting up, setting up maybe some for, for some more stuff uh, going forward, right? Yeah, this, this set of Thursday games has some people starting to bite their nails a little bit because of the fact they're like, We've already had a couple of upsets, and we still have 12, like 12 games to go. Yep, yep. What are we going to do here? Yeah, let me give a shout-out to uh, Jacob Gilliard, 24 points for Richmond. Wanted to mention that. Uh, six assists as well in the game against Iowa. So the Richmond Spiders with that really cool logo. It looks like a Halloween logo or something. Um, mm-hmm. Just keeps moving on. Yep. They played out of their minds the way that game was, but they came in ready. Right. Their momentum was in their favor. That's right. All right, so now we go to the Gonzaga Bulldogs versus Georgia State. And uh, kind of funny, you know, I'm keeping an eye on this one. At the end of the first half, it was 35-33 for Gonzaga. And then Gonzaga just said enough of this stuff. They had 58 points in the second half and just outmanned them at the end. Drew Timmy... 32 points, 13 for 21 from the floor, 6 for 13 from the uh, free throw line. And the uh, big dude, but not real, not real, not real, not real strong, I suppose. But getting the job done was Chet Holgram, 17 rebounds and 7 blocks. And Andrew Nemhard, 11 assists, 3 turnovers uh, for the, for the, for Gonzaga. So Gonzaga puts you know together a massive second half and just disposes of Georgia State, right? Yeah, I mean, this was one of those games that back in the day you would think that Gonzaga, if they were big men, would have won it by like 50 or 60 instead of the 21 points they won it by. But they really had to tell themselves, you know what? We're the number one seed overall in this thing. We need to play like it. Yeah, yeah. Right. And to be honest with you, I kept hearing all weekend about Chet Holmgren being a potential lottery pick. I'm thinking, this dude's a freshman. He's seven feet tall. Okay, yeah. I'll give you those qualities. But his body looks like he belongs playing something other than basketball. Because he's not built like as anything. He's a stick figure out there amongst these guys. It's like, he needs to have a body at seven one or whatever... And really show that he can play physically at the position instead of just being in there and shot blocking. Yeah. Well, he's in a very fortunate situation. He's got Matherin with him. Uh, oh, no, that's Arizona. I'm sorry. But yeah, he's got, Dr- got Matherin. Yeah, yeah, no, I meant he's got Drew Timmy with him, right? Yeah. Yeah. So- and you got Nem Harden. He's got guys that have been to the Final Four before, so he can learn from them. But it's like, you need a bit more of a body to you than what you're going to have. So maybe the NBA is not right for this year, but after your sophomore year, potentially. Yeah. 
Just want to put a footnote there. Gonzaga, 50% from the floor in the game. So, I mean, they just got into that Gonzaga groove and good season for Georgia State, right? Yeah. Yep. I mean, they put up seven. The two teams combined had 141 field goal attempts. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, often do you see teams putting up that many in a game combined? Right. Right. All right, we'll keep it rolling. So now we got another 8-9 uh, game to talk about. And, th- and in this game, the 8 wins. North Carolina, 95. Marquette, 63. And this raised an eyebrow. Didn't think Marquette would get blown out by this many points, huh? I didn't either. And to be honest with you, I don't know if they just thought, well, it's North Carolina. They only have um, Bacot and one other guy. But... One thing I've noticed in the last couple of weeks in North Carolina, Brady Manick. He, he was another one that took, took advantage of the transfer portal, put himself into it, ended up taking advantage of North Carolina, and became a big player for them in this tournament. Yeah. And in the last couple of weeks, especially the game against Duke at Cameron, and then during the, NCAA, or the ACC tournament, he was big for the, for the Tar Heels. Right. Right. He started to really show more that these games this weekend. Yep. Yeah, he had 28 points in this one against Marquette. And uh, really just kind of shocking. I mean, Marquette just, just getting manhandled, especially on the boards. Yeah, I mean, he, he had a total of 11 rebounds along with his 28 points. He was 10 of 15 from the field, 3 of 3 from the free throw line. 50% of his threes, and also had uh, just the game that everybody needed from, like, somebody that could be the sixth man instead of a starter on that team. Right. Right. Okay, anything else on this one before we uh, head over t- for another upset? I don't have anything else on this one at all, because Marquette didn't really have anything to talk about, mostly. No, they didn't. All right, so let's talk about another 5-12 game that ended up in a, in an, another uh, upset here. And Danny Hurley's uh, UConn get taken out of the NCAA tournament. New Mexico State 70, uh, UConn 63. And uh, New Mexico State jumped on, jumped on them in the first half, ended the first half with a 32-22 lead. And then Connecticut could not you know, put it together. And uh, New Mexico State, man, wins big time, huh? Had it not been for Teddy Allen, New Mexico State's not in this game at all. <laughs> no. But he did anyway. This was the Teddy Allen show. Yes, it was. The whole game. Yes, it was. Teddy Allen, 37 points, six rebounds for uh, New Mexico State, and uh, nice big upset there, right? Definitely. If you're talking a whack school in New Mexico State, where they're playing teams from all over the map, that for the most part, they don't have anybody that does anything more than maybe shoots. Right. And even then, you hope that it falls. So, to see him come out against UConn, who for some reason just beats themselves, both mentally and physically, every game, and does this to them, it's like, wow. You know, and when you have, they use eight players for New Mexico State. The only one to score in double figures was Teddy Allen with his 37. Everybody else is nine or below. Yep, so. yep. Yep. Okay, so uh, 
let's keep it rolling here and let's keep ourselves on the upset train. And talking about an upset train, I don't even know where to start with this game. Um, possibly, you know, I start to think, you know, the one beating the 16, UMBC beating Virginia, that was the first one seed Virginia to lose. But this game, you know, it's right up there, if not ahead of that one in terms of what an upset it was. But um, but when you think about the coach for St. Peter, Shaheen Holloway, you know, Shaheen Holloway is a guy that played basketball for St. For Patrick of Elizabeth, New Jersey, which happens to be the same program that has produced later after that, Kyrie Irving, Al Harrington, and a few other guys in the NBA. And that's a great high school program. It was a machine. And uh, Shaheen Holloway was a part of that machine. He goes over, I mean, he learns how to, he learns how to uh, play basketball over there at St. Pat's, and he learned a lot from their head coach in high school, had a tremendous career uh, coaching Kevin Boyle, his name is, and uh, he taught Holloway a lot about how to play defense and how to, how to be a coach, I'm assuming. Then Holloway goes over and plays for Seton Hall, becomes the coach of St. Peter's, and man, I think this is a guy that you're going to see in the future here getting a job coaching maybe in the Big East or something because this guy definitely had a down uh, for St. Peter's this year and knocking off John Calipari and the Kentucky Wildcats, just amazing, huh? Yeah, I mean, the way that the numbers look here for this game, it's like, how the heck, when you have two guys that, that get into double figures, both with 20 points at least, and the rest of the team is balanced out at anywhere between four and eight, like, how the heck do they put it together to beat Kentucky of all teams? But then you look at Kentucky's, and it's like they had Shibway with 30, Wheeler with 11, and everybody else was eh, about eight points. Right. But it's like they didn't exist. The, the ones that you needed, like a Washington, two of 10 from the field. Yeah. Uh, Wheeler with four of eight. Grady, one for nine. Brooks, two for seven. It's like you needed these shooters, and they didn't show up. And no. they had nobody on the bench really doing anything for Toppin. Right. So it's like, what do you got? You know, you're going to lose that game when you're you're not showing up to play your position. Right. And here's a stat too. Yeah, Kentucky, 36 rebounds. St. Peter's, 35. They're not even beating them on the boards. Yeah, it's like they forgot how to box out. Yeah. Well, they kind of forgot how to shoot threes. I mean, it was just something else. And, you know, Calipari, he gets himself in these games, and it's like, you know, at some point, he has to coach his way out of this, but uh, like another fellow we're going to talk about that makes a lot of money coaching in the SEC, um, along with, um, I'm sorry, yeah, no, 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 yes, SEC. I'm getting my SEC and my ACCs mixed up. Another SEC coach that went went sour uh, there as well. You know, these guys have to coach themselves out of these games, but they have a hard time, don't they? I might as well just say it. Bruce Pearl. Yeah, a lot of times these guys, these top head coaches get into this game and they try to make it more about them rather than the team. And to be honest with you, the way things were going this weekend, I got tired of seeing all these coaches' interviews. It's like in the middle of one of the media timeouts, they stopped the coach from coaching his team to ask them stupid questions about things that are happening in that half. It's like, I want to watch the game. I don't care what the coach is thinking right now. 
I'm not watching this game as though I'm a coach. I'm watching it as a fan. Just play the game. Let the coaches coach. Right. Stop with the interviews mid-game or at halftime. I don't need to hear it. They're most likely not thinking about what you what your question is going to be. They're just going to give you a quick talking point and get the heck out of it. Yeah, it is pretty like, stupid. Even the coaches to coach their game. Right. It was bad enough they're do it. They did it at halftime, but now they're doing it, you know, in the middle of the game. Yeah. I mean, the game's exciting. These games are great enough. They don't have to throw any, you know, you don't have to throw any lipstick on the pig. It's good enough. Just play the game. Interview them at halftime. You don't have to do that in, in the middle of the game. It's nonsense. But uh, well, yeah, we don't even really need the coach's interview at the middle of the game. Just let him go to the locker room and yeah. talk to his team and come back out and show us what what he told them. Right. Right. Well, you saw what happened to Nick Saban when he tried to got it, when he tried to get out of the interview. It didn't work for him, right? He had yeah, to apologize yeah. for being rude. Like that. Yeah, he had to apologize for being rude. So, just a monster win there for St. Peter's and a devastating loss for Kentucky. And you got to start wondering if this is the way Kentucky wants to keep playing basketball over there. I, you know, maybe it's time for a change. What do you think? time for a change but I don't know that it's so much in coaching as it is philosophy the rules that need to change about the one and done philosophy yeah because some of these guys that are going to like Kentucky Duke and some of the top schools they're only going for the one year because they have to stop that rule you make the game a lot better even though yeah these kids are going to be like but I'm not making any money oh wait yeah I am because now they've got the NLIs or the name, image, likeness stuff. It's like you're making money now. Just play the game. Yeah. Don't worry about your NBA draft status. Go play the game. Play you're the... getting paid now. Yeah. So go go get your degree. That way, if the NBA doesn't work out because for whatever reason your head gets to be bigger than you thought, you got something to fall back on now because you can make money while you're in school. Some of these guys are making tons of money, putting their face out there for whatever local restaurants or this, that, or the others, they could. So. Yep, that's right. We'll see if it's going to change. I don't know. At some point it might because uh, it's just not working, right? It's either going to be the one and done ends or you're going to see a lot more of these guys going to the transfer portal. Well, the transfer portal's kind of screwing up the one and dones. Yeah. But it's also because in a lot of cases, the transfer portal, they've made it now because of after COVID, everybody could transfer without punishment. That now they're trying to take advantage of it by finding things like, oh, my grandma, who's maybe 50, yeah. is on her last leg. It's like, really? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you can go play closer to home so you can be near her. Right. No penalty. It's like, really? You're going to sit there and let these guys just decide what college basketball is going to be all about now, and that's basically, I'll go to Kentucky for a year if I don't like it. I'm either going to go to the NBA or I'm going to go back home and play for the little guy that wanted to recruit me but knew they weren't going to have a chance. Yeah, yeah, yep. All right, let's keep it rolling here. Uh, let's go to the next game. And uh, Indiana, you know, winning in the first four, but now they have to play St. Mary's out of the uh, WCC conference. And... Um, Indiana really just didn't show up in this one, but they got they got St. Maryized. You know, if you if you get sucked into you know Bennett's another great. I mean, that guy's one of the 
as far as I'm concerned, he's one of the best coaches in the country over there, what he's done with St. Mary's. But if you get suckered into playing that St. Mary's style of game, man, you're just going to get lost completely and just forget about what you have to do. And I think that's what happened to the Hoosiers here. They just got sucked in, and it was 82-53 to St. Mary. Yeah, I mean, this game was one of those that Indiana, I don't know if it was so much they got lost in the St. Mary's system, or if it was a case where they had to travel from Dayton, Ohio, to Portland, Oregon. You're talking time changes, and they had a late flight getting out of uh, Dayton or Mm -hmm. around that area to get out to Portland. So it's like, you're getting in middle of the night, and then you got one day to get ready for a game. And trying to fit in a practice time, some sleep, all that yeah. kind of thing. It's like, that can mess around with a lot of stuff. And especially the legs when you're going back three hours. Right. In the time. Well, it's three hours you got to make up somewhere in terms of sleep or being off your feet for a little while to rest the legs. So they, they may have fallen into that trap where the travel situation with the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it would probably kill them a little bit here too is they went two for ten for three from three statistically and then St. Mary's was 10 for 21 for from three and St. Mary's was just shooting better and maybe it has to do with what you're saying Chad I don't know but uh got out rebounded as well so this was just sort of like you know getting that red eye on the red eye and uh red eye flight or something but just not performing and uh you know overall St. Mary's just moves on and and here you have a WCC team beating a Big Ten and you know, and obviously the chips are falling pretty quickly here for the Big Ten. But uh, this was a game where you would think a Big Ten team would would beat a St. Mary, but not 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 so much there, right? St. Mary's moves on. Yeah, not this Big Ten team, especially when you look at the numbers in, in terms of their field goals, eighteen of fifty three. Yeah. Two of ten from three. So you're talking sixteen out of forty three shots from around inside the arc made yep so you're looking at 27 shots that you missed yeah that would have been points you're talking 54 more points you make those 27 shots you beat st mary's but handily Mm -hmm. so some of it was probably in the either the shot selection or just not having the light right 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 all right let's keep it rocking again here let's go to the next game and we've got Creighton versus um, San Diego State. And uh, Creighton prevails. This was a great game, too. I mean, went into overtime, 72-69 to 69, Creighton. And Creighton really rallied in this one to pull it out. Um, you know, had a, was down, where they were down by seven at the end of the first half, tied it up, goes into overtime, and Creighton pulls it out here. And, I, and that's really what I think it was. I think they just pulled it out. Yeah, I mean, this is one of your classic 8-9 games. You just don't know who's going to come out and win it. And right. Creighton just has to put enough together to get it, especially in overtime. Yeah, yeah. So. Trey Alexander, 18.7 for uh, 15 from the floor. And um, just an overall uh, you know, tight one all the way there. And Creighton out of the Big East um, gets the win over San Diego State, right, out of the uh, Mountain West, right? Yeah. 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 That was just a game that was perfect for San Diego State because of what their abilities have proven to be. Like Creighton just came out with a little extra when it can't when it mattered most, and that was the second half into overtime. Right. Right. Yep. 
All right, so um, here's a let's talk about this next one here. Kind of surprising a little bit. Um, talking about the uh, Arkansas win over Vermont, Arkansas 75, Vermont 71. What was interesting about this game is that you know Arkansas is up by seven at the end of the first half, and you could have said maybe they should have been up by more, but they're up by seven, and you didn't think Vermont was going to come really come back, but they did, and it you know Arkansas had to hang on versus Vermont and uh, win this by four points. Yeah, I mean, Vermont, they know how to step up when they have to. And Arkansas, I don't know if they just overlooked Vermont a little bit. Overlooking their second-round game already. But they just kind of basically said, you know what? If you want to stay in this game, fine. We'll just find a way at the end to have enough to, to finish it out. But it's like you lose the half by three points and only have seven more points than what you had in the first half. It's like, you're, where did you struggle, guys? Yeah, yeah. And I think the thing that really helped Arkansas pull it out is they just were out-rebounding, uh, had they out-rebounding Vermont. But everything else was pretty close all the way across the board with the stats. I mean, it was a pretty even game. And, and luckily for Arkansas, they weren't a victim in this one, huh? Yeah, I mean, when you look at the field goals, each team was 26-58 or 24-56. Yeah. It's like they were basically hitting the same percentage. Right. So, yep. I mean, they were both over 40% from the field. Three-pointers, they were over 30% both. So, yep. they had a lot going there for it. Yep. They were able to live and die where they had to. But Arkansas needed to really kind of put the pedal metal and push harder. That's what they did, for sure. All right, so we got another over game, overtime game to talk about. It was Murray State, 92, San Francisco Dons, 87. And this was nip and tuck the entire game. And then finally at the end, um, you know, Murray State edges out San Francisco in this one. But um, uh, K.J. Williams, 18 points in the win for uh, Murray State. And uh, we knew it was going to be a high-scoring game, and it was, right? And then Bur Murray State hangs on. Yeah, and Murray State had to rely a bit more on their bench as well because while they had three of their five starters in double figures, they had two guys that really kind of looked non-existent, Burns and Collins. Who, Collins didn't really take any shot attempts at all, and yeah. Burns was two of five from the field. Everybody else had 13 shot attempts, missed a few, made a few, and then they had the bench that came in and did some things, especially Skipper Brown with his 12 points, 10 rebounds. He had two of three from the field, eight of 12 from the free throw line with 10 boards, or eight boards, and it's like, well, um, where the heck was the rest of the team? Yeah. You know, when you're getting two guys off the bench to score double figures, so they had five that had double-figure point scoring, including Hannibal, who was 18 and six. Like, where are some of these numbers coming from? Why weren't Skipper Brown and Hannibal starting? Right. Right. That that's true, and ha and that Hannibal guy, man, what a he looks like a football player, doesn't he? Yeah, it's, it's like he's the tight end in a basketball player's <laughs> uniform. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know San Francisco, it's like they had thirty five threes, but they weren't they weren't hitting any of them. They were nine for thirty five, and at some point, you got to think like enough already. Maybe if they took less threes and worked the ball a little bit more, they might have won. Well, and if they had somebody a little more than Booyah doing anything yeah. there's Tay and Meeks that had double figure points but everybody else just they were there but they weren't there 
Right, right. The shooting suffered when they just weren't doing it. Yeah. It's not like the lights were that big for him. I mean, you're a school that plays Gonzaga twice and St. Mary's twice. Yep. You should be ready for big games like that when you're playing the top two teams in your conference twice a year. Yep, that's right. All right, we'll keep it rolling in UCLA and Akron. And boy, UCLA, I'll, I'll use the word, they escaped. And that's what they did. They ended up beating the Akron Zips 57-53. to 53 And uh, they avoided the upset and UCLA moves on. But uh, if UCLA goes far in this tournament, uh, they're going to remember this game like, whoops, we almost lost to Akron, right? Yeah, I mean, they were struggling to shoot. Juzang only had nine points. Well, Yacakez and Campbell had 16 and 15. Yeah. And, like, where was everybody else this game? Yep. Yacakez. One thing about Yacakez, he's he's never shy about the head fakes, huh? No, he's not. He, he leads the country in head fakes. With, yeah, he gets going with that head fake and really gets, gets guys thrown off to where you can get to the free throw line eight or nine times a game. But it's like, you can't be the only one that can do that. Somebody else has to step up and do some more work too. Right. I mean, they took a total of 13 free throws and they made 11 of them, hmm. which is a good percentage, but it's like, you yeah. need more guys to get into the free throw line. Right. Than just that, that 11 out of 13. Right. That's right. Yep. All right, so let's go to the last game of uh, the first Thursday, and it's Kansas versus Texas Southern. Texas Southern was also a team that won in the first four, but that's uh, good night, so to speak, for Texas Southern. It was Kansas 83, Texas Southern uh, 56, and uh, Remy Martin 15.6 for eight and uh, two for three from the free throw line, and he kind of runs that offense real nice when he's in there. Yeah, I mean, he was one of those that another transfer that came in that Bill Self is really taking advantage of being able to use appropriately where he needed to. And in this game, it's like he used him in the right spots, but it's like Texas Southern didn't really have any leg left. And, and it was in a proverbial home game for them when you think about it being that they were playing in Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah. But Kansas had probably because of the fact it was the one seed. So Texas Southern showed up, did their job. And they're going to help their conference get a little extra payday because of that one win. But they weren't going to stand much of a chance against Kansas and their physicality on the inside. Right. Right. All right, so let's go to Friday. Friday, uh, another 16 games chat to talk about on Friday. This is the second grouping of um, the first 32 uh, games of uh, the Friday for, for the uh, Thursday and Friday. So the first one we'll talk about is Duke. In uh, Cal State Fullerton, and you know every game now is Coach K's potentially last game, and luckily for Coach K and Duke, it wasn't this game. It was Duke seventy-eight, Cal State Fullerton sixty-one. I wouldn't say it was a tremendous victory there for uh, Duke, but they held. You know they they played well enough to to beat Cal State Fullerton, right? <laughs> yeah, they didn't put the foot to the gas at all. Like they normally do with a first round game, but they did what they needed to, but encountered most, and that was in the second half. Right, that's right. And um, Banchero, 17.7 for 14. Uh, he had 10 rebounds in this one. Wendell Moore, six assists. And uh, just a just a complete, you know, win there for Duke. But, uh, you know, thought maybe they'd win by like, I don't know, 20, 
almost 20 though right what was it seven 16 yeah, almost. yeah yeah i guess that's good enough for duke right <laughs> yeah i mean the only other way they could have basically put the pedal in the metal and really put the foot to the gullet was if they got to the free throw line a little more they only got there nine times yeah that's right all right so let's go to the the next game and this was a surprise for me i would have thought seton hall would have put up a much better game here it was TCU 69, Seton Hall 42. Let me repeat, 42 for Seton Hall. And one half wasn't any better than the other half. I mean, 21 points in both halves, and it was just a stinker, really, for and pretty disappointing because I thought Seton Hall had a good season getting themselves in the NCAA tournament for a change. It just kind of laid an egg here in the first round, huh? Yeah, they tried to live and die by the three-pointer, and it just did not work when they were 6-21 to 21 from the from the arc for a whopping 28.6%. Like, you're not going to win many games when you're shooting less than 30% from three. No, you're not going at all. And, uh, you know, TCU, TCU had a nice little run in the tournament, didn't they? They did. I mean, this, this was a game for them that really kind of brought them out to say that we're for real. We're not, we're not just a Big 12 team. We're a real Big 12 team as a nine seed. Yeah, yeah. Good for TCU. And it's <clears throat> Mike Miles Jr., 21 points in the game. <clears throat> and Chuck O'Bannon. Remember that name, O'Bannon? Chuck O'Bannon, uh, six rebounds for TCU in that one, right? Yeah, I believe he's Ed O'Bannon's What's kid. that? He might be Ed O'Bannon's kid. Yeah, I don't know. He's got that O'Bannon Jr. name, so he's somebody's, right? Either yeah. that. What's the other kid's name? Ed O'Bannon. And the other kid played for UCLA, right? He put Paul Roberts, and then he was the Texas Tech this year. Right. Kevin O'Bannon. Yeah. 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 All right, so TCU moves on with that win, and then uh, we'll keep it rolling. And the next game we're going to talk about is Ohio State and Loyola. And everybody was saying Ohio State, Ohio State. I'm sorry, Loyola, 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 because Loyola kind of has the NCAA street cred, so to speak. And Ohio State, you know, not playing as good as uh, a lot of people would have uh, liked to see there. But um, Ohio State ends up winning uh, 54 to 41, and Loyola had 18 points in the first half, 23 in the second half. Just couldn't get the offense going. Yeah. They they were not shooting lights out at all. They were 15 of 56 from the field. And usually when you're like that, you're not going to win very many games. And especially 8 of 28 from 3 and 3 of 10 from the free throw line. It's like, what happened to your game, guys? Where, where did your shooting go? Right. Yeah. Yep. EJ Liddell, 16 points uh, for Ohio State. And he also had 10 rebounds in that game. And Ohio State marches on uh, with that victory over Loyola, and uh, I think Loyola's in for some hard times. They're going to really be in some hard times in the next few years because they're going to have to get used to A-10 play, Yeah, which may be a little better than Missouri Valley, but a lot of it's also travel is going to be a lot worse. When right. you're going out to the New Jersey, New York area a lot, you're in Pennsylvania, you're in, in spaces where the fan base, they're going to be like Loyola, who? Right. Even they might have heard of you because of your Final Four run in your last few years in the NCAA tournament, but they're going to still be like, you're out where? Right. And Porter Moser and the Oklahoma Sooners got bounced out of their out of their uh, tournament. 
Yeah, they were in the NIT and they yeah. got bounced out pretty, pretty yeah. early too. Yeah, so they're gone. Um, all right, we'll keep it rolling here. Let's talk about uh, the Auburn Tigers and Jacksonville State. And uh, in this one, it was all Auburn, 80 to 61. Um, Jabari Smith, 20 points in that in this game, 14 rebounds for Jabari Smith. And um, you know, looked at at the time, it looked like okay, here comes Auburn, right? Yeah, I mean, they basically knew they were going to win this game going away because they were playing a weaker team out of the A Sun that just happened to get in because of Bellarmine winning the tournament and right. they, Bellarmine didn't go. So Jacksonville State gets in there, and I think they were more of a deer and headlights for this game. Yep. 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 All right. The next game. Uh, we have uh, Texas Tech 97, Montana State 62. And, and uh, Texas Tech, you know, with that great defense, gave up 62 to Montana State. And I thought from that was probably a lot of points uh, they gave up in that game against Montana State compared to what they normally do. But uh, I like Texas Tech, man. If, if Texas Tech can somehow have a great shooting night from outside, I don't know if anybody can beat them. Well, and in this game, there was no way they were getting beat. Field goal percentage, they had 67% total. That was on 36 to 54 yeah. shooting. Yeah. They haven't even talked about their three-point percentage yet. Right. And that's unusual, though, right, for Texas Tech. That's unusual, shooting that well. Yeah, I mean, when you're 67% overall and 60% from the three, hitting 12 out of 20, it's like you're not going to lose that game. It's more a matter of... When are you going to miss? And when they do, it's like, wait, you missed? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even at the free throw line, they were 13 out of 19. That's an additional 13 points that even if they didn't have those, they weren't going to lose the game. But it was like, you're not missing from the field. You're not losing the game. Yep. So. Yep. Terrence Shannon Jr., 20 points for Texas Tech. And. Kevin O'Banner, there, there's that name again, 11 rebounds. And that guy, he finds, he's got like a, you know, in football they say a nose for the ball. Kevin O'Banner has a nose for the ball underneath the basket. Sometimes he's just under there, he's boxing out, and the ball just kind of ends up in his hands. Yeah, he's, he's one of those guys that Oral Roberts was really upset to see leave. Yeah. Because of what he did for him last year in the tournament when they were a 15 seed and getting to the Sweet 16. And now he's with a team that, it's going to go a lot of places, especially with the fact that they're with a coach that knows the game well, that knows what roles players need to be in. And he put O'Banner in the right spot all season long. And right. O'Banner, like, stepped up big from it. Right. Yes, he did. And uh, more to come from Texas Tech. The next one, Purdue 78, Yale 56. Um, you know, Purdue's supposed to win this game, and they did. And I, you know, going into this game, I was thinking, what's this Azar Swain going to do? Because he was leading Yale into that, you know, winning that uh, Ivy League tournament on the back of Azar Swain. And he had 18 points in the game. Good for him. And he shot pretty decently. But uh, just too much Purdue. Jaden Ivy, 22 points. Uh, Trevion Williams, 10 rebounds in this game. And uh, Stavanovic uh, had four assists for, uh, that's really not his game. His game is three-point shooting. But... Good win for Purdue, right? A little uh, a little uh, hors d'oeuvre, so to speak, right, for Purdue? Yeah. This game was one where they could do more pounding on the inside and shut Yale down because Yale's not used to having teams that can do anything on the inside outside of maybe a Harvard or a Penn yeah. or a Princeton. 
if they can get it around in that offense. But otherwise, it's like most of the teams are shooting from the outside. Yep. And in this case, Purdue's pounding into the inside to Eddie and Ivy. And even Stefanovic, who can hit threes like crazy, going, yeah, I don't really need to do anything here. These guys got it pretty good. Yep, that's right. All right, we'll keep it going. Here we got uh, Villanova and Delaware, the Delaware Blue Hens, right? But this was all Villanova, 80 to 60. And it's kind of funny, like, Villanova just always seems to just have interchangeable parts in that Jay Wright system, huh? They just, you know, they just have enough guys in there to just to play real hard on both ends of the court. And uh, they just fit in nicely, whoever Jay Wright has playing for him. And, you know, Villanova, man, ha look out. You never know, right? Yeah, I mean, they had almost every starter that had double figures except for Slater, who only had three. And they could have intermixed Daniels in as a starter and had five guys in the starting lineup with double figures. That's just how unhittable or unbelievably well they shot from the field. Yeah. This game here to Delaware. Yep. Justin Moore, 21 points for uh, Villanova. Uh, Jermaine Samuels, nine rebounds. Justin Moore, six assists. And, uh, Put the Blue Hens away, right? Blue Hens are going back in the barn? Yeah. They're going to be singing the blues. <laughs> That's right. All right, so let's and go. Huh? Villanova also had like, what you can probably consider a legacy player on the on the bench that came in and played a little bit. And Chris Archidiacono, Ryan's brother, who was on the Villanova team that won the national title a few years ago. And everybody thought his name was Archidiacono. But it's like, well, nope, he's got a first name. So, right. But it's like, they, they come out of the woodwork and go to Villanova and that family. So, yep. we may see a few more Archie Diakonos over the years. Yep. Is Jay Wright still Villanova at least? Yeah, if he's there for sure. All right, the next game, Miami, the, the uh, green and orange of Miami over the. Uh, Gold and what? Maroon of USC, 68 to 66. And USC really had a ferocious time there at the end, trying to come back and win this game. But man, Miami knows how to hang in there, huh? And they're still hanging in there, Miami. Yeah, I mean, Miami plays defense very well, especially in key moments. And we're seeing that with Jim Clarenegas' squad this year. Especially a lot of people are comparing it to when he, uh, was coaching George Mason back in 2006 and led the Patriots to the uh, Final Four. It's like, this guy knows how to get the right players in the right part of the system so that they can uh, do some major winning. And we're going to see that quite a bit from this team in the next couple weeks, I think. So, yeah. you pay attention to what Miami's going to do because they, they could end up being a Final Four possibility. Yeah, Isaiah Wong, 22 points and uh, for, for Miami. And uh, they just seem... To love playing for their coach, huh? That they do. I mean, Larinaga could have given up on these guys, but he doesn't. He, he gets them ready at the right time, and that's kind of kind of the idea of the ACC version of a Tom Izzo, where it's like they might have a crowdy looking ACC season, but when it matters most, they're going to show up and play, and that's usually the ACC tournament or the NCAA tournament itself. Yep. So he gets them. He gets them ready at the right time. Yep. He, he certainly does, and he's on a. They're on one of those kind of like rolls right now that ain't no stopping, right? Nope. Nope, that's for sure. All right, we'll keep it going here. The next game, Upset City, Notre Dame 78, Alabama 64, huh? 
Won't that won't be the score in football, but in basketball, Notre Dame pulls pulls a win against Alabama, 78 to 64. Though, right? Nice win, uh, nice nice all around win there for Notre Dame, and Notre Dame moves on. Yeah, they had a little bit more help from the bench. Well, not mm-hmm. so much the bench, but some other starters, so that Paul Atkinson didn't have to do all the work to score all the points. This time we had uh, Cormac Ryan, who's who led the team with 29 points and yeah. 10 rebounds on 10 of 13 shooting. And then you had Nick Lazuski again with 10 points off the bench. So they get mm-hmm. a little contribution, but they, they're pretty stuck on their seven-man rotation. Yeah. So for them to go any deeper, they, they have to get past that seventh player and try to get somebody else in there. But that's kind of been Mike Bray's style. Is once you get your six, seven or eight guys, that's who you stick with. Right. One thing about Mike Bray, there's usually no let-up on his teams. I mean, his teams play, you know, 40 minutes of college basketball. Yeah, with Bray being a disciple of uh, Coach K, he's going to know how to coach teams deep into the season and get the most out of his players, even if he uses a small amount of them at that time. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, so the next game is Texas versus Virginia Tech, right? So Virginia Tech wins the ACC tournament, and you're thinking, okay, well, let's see what happens now. Maybe Virginia Tech keeps on the winning, but nope, Texas, 81 Virginia Tech uh, seventy three. This kind of surprised me a little bit, did didn't you? A little bit, but I think a lot of the cases too is Texas has a little bit more of a punch in the Big Twelve than what Virginia Tech has because Virginia Tech is normally a mid mid leaguer. They're not somebody that's going to be there surprising the world and shocking like what they did in the ACC tournament. But then there was also that case too that Duke knew they were going, so maybe they said the ACC tournament. Let's get that other team in there so we can get some more money for the conference. And we can get more exposure as well because Virginia Tech was on the bubble. They won the tournament, so there was no longer a bubble for them to worry about. They actually knocked somebody else out because of the fact that they didn't have to worry about the bubble anymore. Right. Yep. Yep. Andrew Jones um, for for uh, Virginia Tech had 21 points, but, Saint, but Sean Padula, 19 points there for uh, the Longhorns. And... Um, Nice win for the Longhorns and uh, a good win for the uh, Big 12 over the S uh, for, over the ACC Virginia Tech and uh, Texas moves on. Huh? Every time I think of Texas, I never think of two teams. I never think of basketball: Texas basketball and Nebraska basketball. But Texas basketball is better than Nebraska basketball, I suppose. Well, I think Texas basketball kind of took a shot when Rick Barnes left. Yeah, yeah. Because Rick Barnes would always get Texas to the tournament, even if they didn't win or go very deep. He still got them there, but the downfall for for Rick Barnes at Texas was the fact they didn't get very far in the tournament. Right. Otherwise, he'd still be there today, basically being able to retire when he's ready to. Right. And still getting the team to be in state tournament, but they said, you know what, we need you to win more tournament games, but you're not doing it, so they let him go to Tennessee and see what he can do there. Yep. So, yep. But Our- the thing with Padula's 19 points that he had, all from the bench. Right. So it's like, why wasn't he starting? Yep. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like maybe that's how they work him in. I don't. Maybe it just gets hot. Sort of like that yeah, Meyer. Think, sort of like the Meyer guy for uh, Baylor, at least last year. Yeah. Padula was three and nine from the field, ten of ten from the free throw line, but his <laughs> three his three made shots. Yeah. Were all three. Wow. So he yep. was fifty percent from the three point range, thirty three percent from the field. 10 of 10 from the 
free throw line. So it's like, wow. where is all this working? Yep. Yep. All right, so uh, let's talk about the Fighting Illini, Illini now playing against Chattanooga. And the Illini almost got run over by the Chattanooga Choo Choo. Illinois wins. Fi- yeah, Illinois wins 54 to 53. Squeeze that one out, huh? They did. And the biggest part of the problem with that one was Trent Frazier was non existent, and Andre Cabello off the bench didn't do anything. It's like you bring these two key players that have experience. Frazier has the experience he's played the most games at U of I in their history, and Corbello being a, a top sophomore, and both of them are basically dead silent for this game. It's like, what's wrong with these two? Why are they not stepping up in their roles and doing anything? It ended up being Coburn, who we expected with the 17 and 13, yeah. and Coleman Hopkins with his 10 and 8. It's like, why are the two bigger guys having to do all the work when Frazier and Corbello should be doing stuff on the outside? But Chattanooga was also playing very good perimeter defense, so it kind of shut them out there, too. Right, right. Illinois, 3 for 17 from the three-point stripe. And they got out-rebounded by uh, Chattanooga by a couple, but you you wouldn't think that either. No, you wouldn't, but the way the defense was going, it's like if you shot from three points, you were not getting around that deep box out. Right. There was just to be able to get to the ball. Yep. Yep. Chattanooga came and they showed really well, but they just didn't have enough in the end to yeah. take out Illinois when it, when it mattered most. Right. Yep. Illinois moves on, hangs in there, moves on. The next one, Arizona, 87, Wright State, 70. And um, two pretty good halves there for Arizona, putting up 87 points. Benedict Matherin, who might just be the best player in the NCAA tournament. I mean, this guy, what I saw the other night was amazing in their uh, second round win there. 18.7 for 18 from the floor for Matherin. And here's another guy to look out for, Christian Coloco. I mean, this guy is something else, 13 rebounds. And, um, huh? Go ahead. He's a beast in the paint. I watched that second round game for, like, this guy, he knows where the ball is. It's like, he had a magnet where the ball was. And you couldn't really get around him for that, so... It's like you have Dennis Rodman on on Arizona. Pretty much. Yeah. He's that guy that you you want everybody to try to get the driver, the person driving in to go, oh, crap. I got to get through this guy to get my two points. Yeah, and, you know, you look at, you look at the way Matherin plays and you look at the way Coloco plays – and you got to think to yourself, man, these two guys could just carry them all the way to the to the championship and win the championship with the, with the way these two guys can go at it. Yeah, it's an inside-outside threat that you just don't know what you're going to get from one of the two. Who's yeah. going to kill you first? Whether it's going to be the guy on the outside or the guy on the inside with the defense. Yeah, it's going to be something else if it's Arizona and Gonzaga. That's going to be a battle, but we'll see. we got a lot more basketball to play before it even gets there. Um, all right, so let's talk about a, a team that really is starting to surprise people, the Iowa State Hawkeyes, right? 59, LSU Tigers 54, and Iowa State, uh, you know, putting some suffocating defense together here a little bit. Yeah, TJ Osselberger's got this team really playing well. I mean, you're, you're talking about a 
few years ago was one of the tops. Then they brought in Fred Hoiberg, fell to the ground. And now they're getting back up there again with TJ Otzelberger, who came over from San Diego State. And, or not San Diego State, but South Dakota State. I'm running into Palmer, you can use your Dakotas and your Diegos. Yeah. So, uh, but Iowa State just really kind of came out of nowhere. They, they were one of those teams that you see them struggle during the Big 12 season. But at the time when they really needed to step up, they stepped up. Yeah. And now they're starting to really have that ability that they can do it and be that team they were supposed to be in the Big 12 all season. But just hit the wrong spots at the right time. Right. Tyrese Hunter, 23 points in that game for um, for Iowa State. And, um, you know, nice win. Nice win for Iowa State. And, and, you know, you look at the stats, LSU out-rebounds Iowa State. But Iowa State, you know, Again, the three-point strike was big for them in that one, shoot, out-shooting uh, LSU from three. Yeah, I mean, LSU didn't have a whole lot to work with, but it was also a case where this was a, like maybe first game jitters under the new uh, interim head coach and Kevin Nickelberry because they just fired Will, Will Wade yeah. the week before. Yeah. So it's like, well, how are these guys going to respond to things? and? They at least kept the game close, but there were a lot of things they could have done a lot better, especially right. with their shooting. They were 17 of 46 from the field, 419 from three. Like, you needed to get a few more three-pointers if you're going to do anything there, especially when you allow Iowa State to shoot 37 of them, and they only made 12. Right. I mean, 32% from three versus 21. Like, you're not going to get very far when you're struggling to shoot. And then when you both teams can't get over 40% from the field. Yeah. It questions what they're doing there. Yep, yep. All right, next one. Houston, 82, UAB, 68. And it's kind of funny. Every time I watch Houston, I think I'm watching Texas Tech. And when I watch Texas Tech, I think I'm watching Houston because both of those teams are physical. They play defense. They rebound. And when they're putting the ball through the basket, they're like lethal, both of those teams, if they're actually shooting really well. Um, this one, you know, UAB, we, you know, we, we thought, I thought maybe a little bit better out of UAB, but Houston, man, they're tough. Kyler Edwards, 25.7 rebounds for uh, Houston. So when Houston's playing their game, they're tough. Yeah, I mean, this was a great game to see Houston put it all together again after they had a couple of struggles towards the end of the season. So yeah. a, a team that fairly balanced as UAB was for them, it really worked to their advantage because they could get some things going that they needed to, especially in fast breaks and defense. Right. So if Texas Tech played Houston in the, in the final game, let's say, what would the score be? About 45 to 44? Are we talking the first half or the, the full game? The full game. <laughs> well, go, go. I mean, it's quite possible it'd be that low scoring, but it's also a case where both teams may come out and track me style. I mean, it could be a 149 to 148. Yeah, but they just don't seem to give up a lot of points, neither one of these teams. But um, we'll see. Houston moves on. Houston's going to be, you know, it's kind of funny. Houston's a five seed, and when you watch them, you're thinking, five seed? You know? Yeah. The biggest problem with their five seed is the fact they had a couple of struggles when it mattered most at the end of the season. So right, right. They, they got punished for that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's right. All right, so let's go to this next game. And boy, man, this was a heck of a game. Michigan State, 74, Davidson, 73. And uh, Tom Izzo was sweating that one out, huh? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people were sweating that game because they 
they knew this was going to be a good game. They just didn't expect it to be this good. Yeah. I mean, Dave, Davidson had pretty much everybody they could score scoring. They, they were so balanced, it was crazy. They almost had all five of their starters in double figures. And then there were three guys that came in off the bench. They were they were getting pretty well, too. So yeah. it, it's not like they were struggling anywhere for maybe the free throw line. But other than that, they were hitting everything they possibly could and keeping it close. Right. And Michigan State, they, they peaked when they needed to this game, but they probably could have peaked a lot sooner. They just didn't put it all together and let Davidson stay in the game. Right. They shot 26% from three. Michigan State, and that, that didn't help them either. But they uh, ended up pulling it out over Davidson, and man, Davidson had a nice year, huh? Yeah, especially for an A-10 team. They're still a relatively young A-10 team because they've only been there maybe five or six years. Yep. So, yeah. But they're going to really make a name for themselves in the A-10 the way that they're going. Right. All right, so the last game we're going to talk about, or the last first-round game we're going to talk about is the Wisconsin Badgers, 67, Colgate, 60. And I think we I think we uh, probably had this one as a close game because, you know, just had a feeling this was going to be a close game with Colgate hanging in there a little bit with Wisconsin. Um, but Wisconsin ends up pulling it out. They had a good, you know, they outscored him in that second half. It was tied at the end of the first half, but uh, Wisconsin pulls away. And uh, kind of just outlast them, led by Johnny Davis, who's a great player. 25 points, 8 for 20, 5 for 5 from the free throw line. And um, nice win there for Wisconsin. They move on, but not not too far <laughs> after that. No. <laughs> this game, I think Wisconsin probably would have been a lot better if they weren't so worried about certain fouls being called how they were. Yeah. Or fouls should have been called because they're used to what Big Ten officials were going to give them. And they weren't getting that this game. Right. So they were getting all on the inside because they weren't getting the balls that they usually get. Yep. Yep. All right, Chad. So that's uh, that's the end of the first round. And um, we had some good games, right, in the first round? We had many good games. We had some that it was like, well, we knew that was going to end up being that way just because the team had to go in there because they won their conference tournament. But it was like the team they got, probably not the one they really should have to give them a better game, but... It's what we had to give them because of where they just fit in the setup. Yep. And especially with travel and ticket sales and everything, some of the teams were just put close to home so they didn't have to worry about flying so far away. Yep, yep. All right, well, let's move on to the second round games. These are the games that were played Saturday, March 19th. And the first one we're going to talk about is is this Baylor-North Carolina game. And you really didn't know coming into this game if you were going to get like the North Carolina C game or the North Carolina A game. And unfortunately for Baylor, they got the North Carolina A game. North Carolina wins in overtime, 93-86. to And uh, for me, this was a little bit of a shocker. I thought Baylor would, you know, I'm not going to say easy win, but I, I figured, you know, Baylor was going to win this game. But boy, there goes uh, Baylor as a, uh, what, a number, were they a two seed? A one seed, that's right. They were a one seed. So Baylor's gone. Yeah, they, they didn't get anything out of Samba and Brown in the starting lineup. Sohan had his numbers off the bench, but it was like they just needed something. Plus, they were dealing with a, a couple more injury issues with Mayer, and then uh, Flagler showed up and did his thing, and Aquino. But they just needed some other players to really step up, and with Samba getting basically dominated by Manic on the inside, especially when Manic would come out of nowhere 
get some backdoor layups or some ability to dunk because of the fact that he had open open season on the uh, the back line to be able to get to the ball. Mm-hmm. It right. just made it easy for for uh, Manic to do whatever he wanted to do, which is why he had 26 points and five rebounds. But the problem that he had was later on with that elbow that caused him to get thrown out of the game. It's like, where would this game really have sat? Yeah. Man, it's not been kicked out 10 minutes with 10 minutes left in the game. Right. So. Well, here's a great stat. So it, Baylor 28 for 81. 28 for 81 in field goals. 81 field goals. Yeah, they were just shooting from wherever, especially 37 of those 81 being from three, and they only made nine. Yeah. It's like, good thing they got to the free throw line and went 21 to 27, because otherwise. This game would have been a blowout city. Yeah. Well, maybe Scott needed to get his brother in there to shoot some threes. Maybe. But I think a lot of a lot of the situation, too, was UNC just came in ready to play. And yeah. not having Manic in there, they had to regroup, get themselves back together, get in their own head, and go, we can do this. We just have to put it together and do it the, the way that we know how to do. Especially considering we did it this way, we beat Duke. Right. Right. All right, so we'll we'll keep it going here. Second round games on Saturday, uh, Kansas seventy nine, Creighton seventy two, and um, you had a feeling Kansas was going to win this game, but um, this was a tough game. Creighton hung in there, you know, to pretty much towards the towards the end. You know, Kansas holds them off, and uh, you know, Kansas moves on to the Sweet Sixteen, and um, pretty good win, right? And and you start you started to th- you starting to think like hey, Kansas is going to be a big time player down the road here in this tournament too. Yeah, I mean, Kansas was able to show up and do the things that they normally do in conference against Creighton because they were like Creighton is essentially the next Iowa State or the next Oklahoma, a team that we know what they can do on the inside and they're basically just big guys that are missing a little bit more body for the physicality that we're going to put on them. So we know what to do, and we can get those extra rebounds and extra points from that. Right, right. Yep. All right, so Kansas moves on. The next one uh, we're going to talk about here is uh, another upset. Michigan 76, Tennessee 68. And don't tell me Jawan Howard's in the Sweet 16, but he is, right? Yeah, he's getting lucky on this one. And he's riding the coattails of Hunter Dickinson through it all. Yeah, another big game for Hunter Dickinson. This one in particular was a real big win. Big game for him. 27 points he had in this one, 11 rebounds. And, you know, Michigan, um, you know, they're a t- I mean, they're a tough team, you know. I mean, it's kind of funny. Michigan seems to play well in the NCAA tournament when no one expects them to. Yeah, as long as they have timeouts, they're good to go. <laughs> Whenever once, 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 they don't have timeouts, right, be right. careful that you get the ball in the right hands and they don't call timeouts. Right. Well, Chris Weber was not too far away from uh, the bench in that game. He no, was, he wasn't. Right. He could have wanted to call timeouts for John Howard. Yeah. And they probably would have. <laughs> Howard probably told him, keep your hands in your pockets, Weber. You don't need to start. Don't, don't call a timeout. Yeah. Put that mask on and keep it on. Right. And uh, both Weber and Juwan Howard were really celebrating. I mean, they were bear-hugging each other there at the end of the game like they already won the championship. But, 
Um, nice win for Michigan, though, you know, over Tennessee. And I was surprised. I thought Tennessee was going to, you know, get through Michigan here. But you just never know in the NCAA tournament, huh? Michigan shut down Viscovi, unlike what uh, yeah. the previous, what Longwood could do. So. Yeah, two for 18 from three for Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, when he, when he can't hit three, you're going to be struggling pretty big. And they showed that for sure in this game. Yep. So, so far, we got two upsets. We got Baylor losing. We got Tennessee losing. And now we move to the next one. But no such luck for the Richmond Spiders against the Providence Friars. 79 for Providence, 51 for Richmond. And the Pro Providence put on a pretty impressive win here against uh, Richmond. And Providence yeah, goes to the Sweet 16. Yeah, Providence will do something in the Sweet 16 that we haven't seen in a while that win big with the with the player that you don't expect. Yeah. So they'll just have that guy that'll step up and go, it's my turn to, to do something here. Yeah. Especially whoever was on defense that shut down Jacob Gilliard for Richmond. He was four points on two of ten shooting. It's like, how do you stop their top player in terms of shooting that well other than sticking on him like blue? And he was 0 for 7 from 3. Right. So. Right. That's right. So that was... uh. That was a uh, a nice, impressive win there for Providence. And uh, we'll go to the next game. And this is uh, St. Mary's and UCLA. And I think our preview of this game, I said, if St. Mary's beats UCLA, St. Mary's should just move right into the Pac-12. But uh, no luck there. Just too much UCLA in this one. Huh? Tiger Campbell, 16 points. Johnny Zuzang, Zuzang eight rebounds. Um, and, uh, you know, St. Mary's, you know, we're trying to play their game, but just – just got outmanned there by UCLA, huh? Yeah, UCLA, the guys that needed to step up, stepped up. And in this case, Juzang with his 14, Haikas with his 15, even with the injury issue that he had at the end. Bernard with 14, Simon Campbell still leading. It's like the guys that needed to be there, especially the four from last year's squad, did their job and showed up when it mattered most. And again, St. Mary's, that mattered most, especially considering you gave up uh, – Double figures to four players on the St. Mary's roster. Yeah. And Justin Dutas, Kuzi, uh, and Toss, you know, you give up on average 14 points per player, you know, you're, you're still going to win the game because you're only giving up maybe three points one side or the other. But they, they had to step up in the scoring where it mattered, and UCLA did that most especially with the guys from last year's team that knew how to do it. Right. That's right. All right, well, St. Mary's might have lost, but guess who didn't lose? St. Peter's. St. Peter's. Mm -hmm. So we still got a Saint in there. St. Peter's is in the Sweet 16. Yes, a 15-seeded St. Peter's of Jersey City, New Jersey. Uh, just a stone's throw away from where uh, Tony Soprano, the old Tony Soprano's neighborhood. Um, just, I don't know what to say about St. Peter's, the Peacocks. I mean... Unbelievable. You know, I remember going to their games when I was a kid in that uh, smelly gym they had over there. And here they are. They showed you the gym, right? I don't know if that's the same gym or maybe it's a new gym. But this is like this is like amazing stuff here. And I just, you know, I keep thinking of Shaheen Holloway. And I just keep thinking of what he did as a player in high school. And that he just, you know, he's a tough guy, too. You see him on the sidelines. I mean, he's he demands perfection out of his players and uh, they play hard for him. And um, 
this was just something else. I mean, Murray State did not have a, you know, it's maybe it's the St. Peter's defense, the St. Peter's hustle. Uh, Kenny Smith talked about St. Peter's as just being, you know, another one of these teams from New York, New Jersey. These guys are fighters and all this stuff. That's because Kenny Smith is from New York. So he, he was a little biased yeah. on that one. But great win. What can you say? They're in the Sweet 16, right? That's one of those teams that you're going to remember for a long time, along the same lines as a UMBC or yeah. even a George Mason. Yeah. And just seeing where I mean, yeah, their run may end on Thursday or Friday, but it's going to be a run that you remember for a while. Right. It is. And um, for St. Peter's, uh, you know, just that Edert guy, I like the way they use him. Edert, he comes in there late in the game and he's a fantastic three-point shooter and he's a good field, he's a good uh, free throw shooter. So they got him on the court. You know, if St. Peter's gets a lead, they put him on the court and hope he gets fouled and all that good stuff. So didn't play as much during the game, but when it was crunch time, he was in there. And that was a good move there by Holloway having him in there at the time. So St. Peter's man moves on and uh, looks like they're going to be playing the Boilermakers and... You know what? Why not play the Boilermakers? Because we've seen them fall apart in games in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, this will be about the point when you wonder who on Purdue is supposed to step up and doesn't. It causes them to lose an important game in the Sweet 16 or even the Elite 8. Yeah. Which is why people shouldn't be picking Purdue to go very far. So they beat themselves somewhere down the line. Right. Well, this is a this is would be a mammoth win for St. Peter's knocking off knocking off Purdue. We'll see what happens, right? All right, the next game, Arkansas fifty three, New Mexico State uh, forty eight, and uh, New Mexico State was awful in the first half, only scoring seventeen points. Arkansas not much better, but scored twenty six, so they had a nine point advantage. Uh, they had a uh, nine point advantage there at the half, but New Mexico State. You know, tried to come back a little bit there, but Arkansas holds on in this game, and uh, just a good game for Arkansas. And Arkansas moves on to the Sweet 16 with Bill Musselman, or Bill Musselman's son, I should say. For Eric Musselman, yeah. Yeah. For Arkansas, (laughs) forward, they need to stop beating themselves on the the shooting and just take the smart shot and do them well because they were 14 of 51 from the field, three of 16 from. Like, you got to have some better shot selection. Yep. Otherwise, you're not going to get much further in this. When you're trying to live and die by three, and you're not hitting the shots you need to hit. So, try to get more inside and get to the free throw line. I mean, they got to the free throw line 25 times, hit 22 of them. So, keep doing that same thing over and over. You might be surprising yourself of getting further along that way. Right, right. All right, so then the last game on... Um... The last game in the second round on Saturday. And what a game. I mean, I thought this was one of the best games of the tournament. Gonzaga 82, Memphis 78. And everybody had a feeling that Gonzaga could be in trouble in this game. And what was crazy was Memphis was up by 10 points at the end of the first half. But then Gonzaga came on strong, really uh, going up-tempo early in that second half and just started to you know, take command. But Memphis kept clawing it. And Memphis Tigers clawing. There you go. Just kept clawing the way, kept hanging in there. And Drew Timmy was on fire, man, in that half. And, um, you know, and so was Andrew Nemhart hit some big threes and made his free throws at the end of this game. And uh, Gonzaga holds on and gets a win. You know, it's kind of funny. You want to say, okay, well, Gonzaga, you know, maybe they didn't look that good. They only won, you know, by four points in this game. But 
the way they won by coming back and, and coming on real strong in that second half and holding on to that lead kind of told me that maybe they can't be beat now this year. I don't know, but we'll find out soon enough. But great Great game by Memphis, and it's just a fantastic game to watch. One of the better games I, I enjoyed. It didn't go into overtime like some of the other games, but this was a heck of a game. Yeah, I mean, this was one of those games that if Memphis had done one or two things a little better, they would have knocked off the proverbial champion in this this tournament. But Gonzaga is going to come along somewhere along the line and beat themselves, and everybody's going to go, what happened? So, yeah. It's going to become a little more than the Nemhard and Timmy show. You know, Homer might need to show up and do a little bit more than four or seven from the field, one or three from the free throw line. He might have to actually do some more body up and not foul. I mean, he fouled himself out of that game. Yep, that's right. Yep. And, um, you know, you look at the stat sheet, yeah, Memphis 21%. They were four for 19 from three. Um Gonzaga shooting better from the field. The rebounds were pretty close, but, um, you know, just came down to determination there, and Gonzaga just had a will to win at the end of that, I think, made the difference. Yeah, I mean, when Memphis puts up 70 shots, it's like, are you basically running up and down the court and just missing easy layups? Right. Or are you saying, we might have this opportunity, but then, oh, hey, here's Holmgren going to block one of our shots, or somebody else is going to steal the ball from us, or... Mm-hmm. We're just going to miss it because we took it too soon. Yep, yep. All right, so now we go to uh, second-round action on Sunday. The first game we'll talk about is Duke, 85, Michigan State, 75. The game was a lot closer than the score. It was nip and tuck. Duke was up by four at the end of the first half. But this was a close game. Duke pulled away at the end. But uh, a close game and uh, pretty good effort there by the Spartans, too. But just Coach K, you know, Coach K hung on. Uh, didn't want to go out losing to Izzo, I guess. So they hung on there, and uh, Duke is moving on to the Sweet 16. Yeah, this, this was one of those games that you most years would want to see this game in the Final Four, yeah. not in the second round. But it's like the way this year was panning out, this game had to happen now for, the, for Duke to really say to themselves, we can go a little further in this tournament now because of the fact that we've taken out a, a known – NCAA tournament team that has won the tournament before and it gets very deep pretty pretty easily in most years. So we can still keep our, our feet going here with the, with the tournament because we took out Michigan State and not just the little little sisters of the four school that they normally win by 20 against. Right. They had to struggle this one, but they did it. Right. That's right. And, um, you know, Duke didn't really, you know, have a – well – Duke shot 57% from the field. That's great. And that was really the reason why they ended up winning there. Three, not so you know, weren't hitting the threes like they like a Duke team would usually do. But um this was a game going back and forth. You know, things could have changed. The ball like one of these deals where the ball was bouncing a certain way. This like I said, the score is deceiving. This thing was a lot closer than 85-76 for Michigan State. And Duke I kind of felt like Duke escaped at the end of the game. Executed. Duke executed more than Michigan State at the end, but it was a it was a battle all the way through. Yeah, I mean this will be one of those games that Duke looks at and this kept our season going because of the fact that we didn't give up when it was so easy to do. Yep, yep. All right, the next one, Houston and Illinois, and after that first round game that Illinois squeaked by, I suppose you thought like, here's Houston going to give them the knockout punch, and they certainly did. Sixty eight for Houston. 
53 for Illinois, and uh, it was all Houston in this one, huh? Yeah, it was another game where the, the players that you needed to step up in Curbelo and Frazier didn't appear. Right. So Coburn had to take a lot of the, the uh, stuff on him. They shut down Hawkins, which is a good thing to do because of the fact that he can be tough on the inside. But when you hold him back from being able to get rebounds or being able to get points, you basically shut down the key part of the, the Illinois offense that isn't Coburn. Right. Right, and the three-point shooting in this game was out to lunch here. I mean, you had Houston 6-for-22, Illinois 6-for-25. So they weren't winning there. But, um, you know, Houston shot the ball better, and Houston out-rebounded Illinois a little bit there. Um, uh, 17 turnovers didn't help either for Illinois. <laughs> in that no, game. Illinois has got a problem with their point guards being able to control the ball because they're trying to get up and down the court a little too fast for what they can actually do. Yeah, and it, yeah. it hurt him this game especially. Right, right. Um, all right, the next game, Villanova and uh, Ohio State, and um, Ohio State, you know, beating uh, Loyola in the first round, going up against a tough Villanova team, and Villanova seventy-one, Ohio State sixty-one in this game, and um, just too much Villanova early, you know, early in the game, and got off to a got off to an eleven-point lead. And a Villanova team usually doesn't relinquish 11-point lead. And Ohio State kind of played, drew even in the second half with Villanova, but not enough. Conley Gillespie, 20 points. Didn't really have a great shooting night, but on the free throw line, he was 8 for 8. Um, so Villanova's back to the Sweet 16 again. Yeah, I mean, Gillespie made it so that if he, for whatever reason, missed the shot, he was going to get to the free throw line to make up for it. Yeah. So. Yep. That was that was his thing. I mean, you missed nine shots on the game, but you got to the free throw line, so you made up for it there. Right, right, yep. And uh, it, you know, and um, Ohio State, another Big Ten man. The Big Ten teams were falling, weren't they? They were on a roll. Yeah, the, the Big Ten always kind of gets too many uh, opportunities, but they never show up to really take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially when they they don't have the teams to really settle in the in the uh, rankings to say we're going to be the top team, you know, it's like they bounce all over the place because they beat each other up towards the end of the conference season. And it's like, where is this conference going when they've got four or five teams ranked, get nine into the tournament, and then all nine of them struggle at some point. Right. And it really could have been Black Sunday for um, for the Big Ten if Purdue didn't win their game because you had Michigan State losing, you had Illinois losing, You've had Ohio State losing, and the next game we're going to talk about is Iowa State, 54, and the Big Ten, Wisconsin Badgers, 49. So another another loss for the Big Ten in this one, and Wisconsin just couldn't score, just couldn't put the ball in the basket. Yeah, that, that was the biggest thing. It, it just felt like their basket was blocked by everything, yeah. not just players, but by the basket itself. Right. So when do you... When was the last time a Wisconsin team went two for 22 from three? Yeah, I mean, that was just <laughs> unbelievable. Two of them fell out of the 22 you took, and you just could not get anything else to fall. So you're no. shooting about 30% of the game and under 10% from three. Right. Like, that's not usually a Wisconsin shooting game. And on top of it, you had 17 turnovers. 
Yeah, I mean, this is about as ugly as you could get. Kind of a norm for Wisconsin, though. What's that? You can kind of say the 17 turnovers is the norm for them because they're so busy trying to get the ball inside that yeah. somebody gets in there and they just can't keep their hands on it. Right, right. All right, so the next game, and this was this next game was another great game, I thought. Uh, Texas Tech 59, Notre Dame 53, and this was a game where, you know, you thought Notre Dame had a chance to pull this out, but once again, uh, Texas Tech is just a little bit tougher than the rest of these some of these teams. I mean, they just never give up Texas Tech. Kevin O'Banner's 15 points, 15 rebounds, and um, just always seemed to be in the right spot in that game. I mean, good effort for Notre Dame. I, you know, an excellent effort for Notre Dame. I mean, I, there was a, a a point in this game where I thought, man, Notre Dame's going to beat them, but Texas Tech just never gives up, man, and they hung in hung in there, win it, and now Texas Tech with Mark Adams, who I look, who I really interesting career this guy's had, and uh, good for Mark Adams getting into the Sweet 16. Yeah, I mean, they, they stopped the three key players for Notre Dame, and Atkinson, Ryan, and Lasuski from yeah. scoring points. They were all under 10 points this game. Yep, yep, yeah. They, they need to work on and, and stick to, like, blue. Yeah. Texas Tech, four for 15 from from three um, didn't particularly shoot well at all in this game. And that's the crazy thing about them. They shoot bad and they still find themselves in, you know, with a win here against Notre Dame. So uh, they move on. It's going to be some, an interesting go. And we'll talk about a little bit here at the end about what's going to be happening with Texas tech moving forward here. So we got two more games to cover and then we're going to get into the sweet 16 real quick and we'll wrap it up. But um, the next game was, you know what? It was kind of funny. Because every this is funny how this this Auburn Miami game w- went. Auburn, uh, I'm sorry, Miami, who um, you know knocked off USC. Miami's a 10 seed. They knock off USC in the first round and then knock out number two seed Auburn uh, Tigers, led by Bruce Pearl. So what was interesting? There were so many upsets that by the time they got to the Auburn game, it was sort of like it became sort of like a ho hum thing. It wasn't. They didn't have the buzz as much as the Kentucky loss, maybe because Miami was thought to be better than St. Peter's. But it seemed just like it was a ho hum thing after after Auburn like loss. Nobody was completely shocked, huh? That's how I felt. Yeah, I mean the way that Auburn played that game, they beat themselves, and everybody just saw it. And it was like, well, seemed like they gave up. Yeah, it just didn't seem like they. It seemed like they gave up at the end. I don't know. Yeah, they, they just beat themselves and said, we're done. I mean, they they tend to do that quite often. And that might be a peripheral problem where he doesn't get into their heads and say, hey, you know what? We got here. What do we need to do to get out of this funk we're in to get back into to winning this game? Yeah. It's like they just kind of shut down and it was over for them. Yep, yep, it was over. And uh, there goes Auburn's season. This was a season where they went... I mean, they got off to some kind of like what were they like twenty something and oh, weren't they? At at one point in the season. Yeah, and then it's like once they get the number one ranking. Yeah. It's like this where everything really started to hit the skids for them, and they just right. beat themselves all the time. Right. Like that that one seat got into their head. Yeah. Well, then he got that contract signed too, and that even maybe put a more lift on the team. Yeah. There was there is that potential that that contract really kind of got because they realized he's going to be there for a while yeah. and they like him, but right. it's like 
what can they do? Yeah, we'll see where it goes, right, for in the future there uh, with Auburn and Bruce Pearl. But uh, tough, tough one there. They get knocked out. Not in the Sweet 16. And Miami is in the Sweet Sting, Sweet 16. Alaranega, man, we'll see what happens there. They, they can go, well, they can go a little farther. They might find themselves playing uh, Kansas. We'll see. Two more games here. We got Texas and Purdue. It was Purdue 81, Texas 70. And um, there was a point in time where I thought maybe <laughs> uh, Purdue's going to lose this one, but they hung on there. Zach Eady, 10 rebounds. Uh, he was uh, playing really well in the game, I thought. Trevion Williams, the other big dude, 22 points, 10 for 13, 2 for 4 from the free throw line. He stepped it up at the end of that game, helped uh, helped uh, Jaden Ivey out there. And um, nice win for Purdue, and Purdue's in the Sweet 16. We'll see what happens, right? Yeah, I mean, the thing that helped Purdue was they get to the free throw line 46 times yeah. in this game. And they made 33 of those 46. It's like, how many teams anymore you'd be getting the free throw line 46 times? Most teams, if they get to the line 15 times, that's a good night. But right. 46 against the Texas team. Right. What the heck, you know? Yep, yep, that's right. Okay, so the last game of the night, and let's let's give a shout out for those Texas uh, Christian University Horn Frogs. I mean, they hung in there to the end, and really, if it wasn't for Matherin's big three point shot, uh, Arizona would be uh, watching the Sweet Sixteen, and TCU uh, played great. Arizona hung in there, and this game went into overtime. And I think I would put this. I think for me, this was the best game in the tournament, the last one of the night, eighty-five to eighty, Arizona over TCU. And what I what I really thought was amazing about this game was just how Arizona just kept fighting back. Uh, Benedict Matherin, thirty points. Uh, Coloco, uh, Christian Coloco, twelve rebounds uh, for Arizona, and uh, Chuck O'Bannon Jr., twenty-three points for uh, Texas Christian. And I and I kind of like really like this because no one was really expecting Texas Christian to put up a fight like this against Arizona, but this thing was uh, going down to the wire and kind of at the end of this game, it was like Matherin just took Arizona, sort of like the same thing sometimes you'll see from Drew Timmy with Gonzaga, just took them on their back and said, we're not we're not losing, we're going further in this tournament and uh, that's, that's kind of what I thought happened here. Yeah, I mean um Mathurin had to take it into his own hands. Otherwise, nobody else was doing it for Arizona. Because other than Mathurin, there was only one other player in double figures. That was Coloco. Mm-hmm. Coloco was having to do a whole lot of work towards the end of the game on the inside, just blocking shots. Because of the fact that uh, TCU was able to get through the Arizona defense. Like, it was... But it's like, where was the Arizona shooting all night? When you yeah. only had two players that had double figures and everybody else was like, okay, who do we get the ball to? Mathurin and Coloco. How are yeah. we going to do this? Yeah. And TCU gave them that opportunity for those two players to score at will. And they had, and then TCU had four players with 10 plus points. Three of them with 20 plus. So right. like four defense in this game. And who was going to get the ball when it mattered most? And Miller had a lot of problems on the inside trying to just get points. Because of the fact that um, Coloco was playing such strong defense on him, that it's like he'd get in the inside, and Coloco would be like, "Nope, you're not going to get in this time. You're going to pass it out." Yeah. So. 
Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. So Arizona moves on, and here we are, chat, sitting here tonight, looking for uh, some more games. The Sweet 16 on uh, Thursday, and then uh, we go to the Elite Eight, and by the time next weekend ends, we'll have our Final Four, right? Yep. Right. We're getting to the big shining moment. Yep. So let's take a look at some of these games, Sweet 16 games. You've got Gonzaga versus Arkansas. Uh, Gonzaga is the one seed. Arkansas is the four seed, and this is in the uh, this is in uh, let's see, this is in the West, and then the other West game is Texas Tech and Duke, and um, I think you know that Texas Tech and Duke game. You don't know what's going to come out of that thing, but I wouldn't count Texas Tech out. No, I mean the Texas Tech comes out guns a blazing. We're talking Coach K's final game because. Texas Tech is going to play some tough defense, and it'll be a type of defense that you haven't seen Duke play since the North Carolina game, really. Yeah. They lost, and the ECC tournament was on Duke itself. It right. wasn't anything the other team did. It was Duke beating themselves there. And then um, this game, if Texas Tech plays the defense that we're seeing them play, and they can get out and run, they're going to take it on a so quick, we won't even know what hit us, and people end up being done. Yeah, yep. What t- what kind of game were we going to get out of Arkansas against Gonzaga? You think? What what, what do you see there? Uh, I think Arkansas is going to try to play the game they're used to playing, and it's going to beat them because of the fact that they're going to play small when they need to be bigger, and especially on the inside, they need to be doing whatever they can to draw Timmy or Holmgren to fouling, and they might get Holmgren because he's the He's the freshman that doesn't have the experience. But when you need to get Timmy into foul trouble and you don't, or you don't stop him from shooting when you need to, it's yeah. possible that you're blown out. So. Right, right. Well, Chad, I still got Gonzaga coming out of the West. I got Gonzaga winning the national championship. I, I can't believe I'm saying that because, you know, I've seen them, you know, had so many other chances on other teams that may be better than this team. I don't know, but... I've got Gonzaga winning the national championship. Did you have you had Duke, didn't you, coming out of this bracket? Yeah, I did. And they were going to play Kentucky, yeah. which isn't happening. So right. Well, you got Duke at least. I got Gonzaga, so we'll see what happens there. So let's slide down uh, and take a look at the next bracket, which is uh, the East, UNC and UCLA. Huh? Yeah, that one. I think we all kind of saw something, but I think more people are trying to go Baylor with that one than yeah. they were North Carolina. Right. But I think UCLA is going to have to play their best game of the tournament to beat uh, North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be one of those games where UCLA is going to have to have all five guys in the starting lineup show up. Otherwise, North Carolina is going to take advantage of it. Man, right. People run ragged. On yeah. Yeah. Campbell or whoever might be trying to keep him out of the inside. Yep. And with this game, you have the two storied programs, right? North Carolina and UCLA, and that's a that'll be the marquee for that game. Yeah, I mean, this is this is going to be one of those that you're going to be talking about it for a while, but the storyline is going to be which which historic program is going to do it. Yeah. And yep. I I at this point had. Uh, UCLA winning this one over North Carolina, so yeah, we'll see what happens there. Right, I think I had Bay- Well, I think I might have had Baylor 
beating UCLA. I can't, I have my, don't have my sheet in front of me, but I guess it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what's going to happen. But I think UCLA comes out of that one. And then we've got Purdue and St. Peter's. I'm sticking with, uh, I'm going to stick with the Peacocks here. That's very possible because Purdue tends to trip themselves up when they get deep into the tournament. Right. That's what I'm. They're to really trip. Right. So the peak could end up coming out of nowhere and pulling that uh, 15 over 3 that we've never seen really anything big before. Yeah. I mean, especially you... the, the part of the bracket that I didn't have either of these two teams in, I had it being Texas and Kentucky. Right. Yeah, so, I had Kentucky. What I... <laughs> yeah. So we could set ourselves up here for a potential like Gonzaga rematch against UCLA. Very possible. You know, on that side of the bracket. Very possible. Yeah. Yep. All right, so let's go on the other side of the bracket. We'll look at the South first. You've got Arizona and Houston, and you talk about a game, man. That's got a, That's must-see TV right there. That will be a definite game that it's like if Mathurin and Coloco can run ragged like they did against TCU, yeah. It's going to make Houston go, wait, what did we just hit? Right. What did we just find? Right. They were easy going against UAB, and Illinois kind of gave them a little bit of a struggle, but in the long run, they made Illinois look like a team that is always overranked. Yeah. So it's like now they're getting a team that can actually give them a game, and they have to really show up. Otherwise, it's season over for Houston, and Arizona's going to run. Right. The next one, Michigan and Villanova. And I think what might end up hurting Michigan here is like now some days have gone by and Villanova can do a little bit a quick scouting, a little bit more scouting here and a little you see I think you see a little bit less upsets in these rounds because you don't have that game and then the next day or the day after you got another game. Here you got a few days to take off here and I think Villanova's gonna figure out a way, uh, to beat Michigan and Michigan's momentum is a little bit lost here too. So we might see a a bad outing here by Michigan. I like Nova in this one. Yeah, I've got Villanova winning this one too, but I didn't have them playing Michigan. No. In this, or no, I did have. I had Tennessee in this one. Yeah, Tennessee too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No. So, um, I have Arizona coming out of this bracket playing Gonzaga in the national championship. So I'm going to stick with Arizona, even though that Houston game is going to be great. Yeah, I mean the way Houston's been playing. That's going to be the game that everybody's going to sit back and be like, I mean, I get to bed before tomorrow at this point. Right. I mean, that game could go into overtime. Yep. Maybe even. Yeah. And let's take a look at the Midwest bracket. And I guess the question here is, is this now the Kansas Invitational? Or do you think a Providence or a Miami or an or a Iowa State can uh, knock off Kansas out of this bracket? The only way that Kansas can themselves out of this bracket be if one of their players was to have a really bad game. But other than that, it's like they've got some players on the bench that could help out with that. But they'd have to really step on their own feet to make this a tournament that they don't win this bracket outright. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So we'll see, Chad, right? So there we go. We went through all the games from uh, first four, first round, second round, all the games. Gave you an update of uh, the Sweet 16 and uh, two hours, man. We got it in. Almost at the wire. One minute and 59 seconds here. We did pretty good with it, but there's going to be a lot more to talk about 
because in the next two weeks we're going to have games that we're just going to be like, whoa, what did we see just now that we didn't expect when this, when this tournament started? Right, right. That's right. So uh, a lot of great games coming up, and everybody uh, check in, watch the games, and then come back and listen to us uh, recap some of these games, and uh, we'll see what happens here. But, um, you know, we're going to have a great Final Four. I could I could already see set up here. We have, we're going to have a great Final Four. Maybe we'll get that big 15-seed upset and get a 15-seed into the Elite Eight. That would be something to see, too. But uh, we'll see, you know. And Jawan Howard is, you know, a lot of different stories here. you got Jawan, you got Larinaga's story. You've got um, the Providence story with their coach, and you got Kansas trying to win another national championship with Bill Self. Jay Wright and Nova looking for another championship. Jake Jawan Howard trying to right the ship and trying to get his reputation back in order. You got Kelvin Sampson, you know, bridesmaid a lot of different times for Kelvin Sampson, but plays, you know, Houston plays great, great defense. Arizona, you know, kind of the cream of the crop with Gonzaga. Texas Tech playing the defense. Coach K could be his last game, right? UNC, UCLA trying to get back to the Final Four. And Purdue trying to break that spell that they, they can't get there. So there's a storyline with every team, right? Yes, there is. I mean, looking at the Iowa State-Miami game, it's the, can we pronounce the coaches' names correctly game? Yeah. Oh, here we go. Right. And then Larinaga, it's like, who's going to screw that up? Right. And some of these other games that you just don't know who's gonna come out ahead. No, you don't. You don't. So you flip a coin, it's so dark at the wall. Yeah. Take a piece of meat, throw it at the wall, hope it sticks. You know, it's it's wide open right now. Yep. Yep. All right, Chad. Well, it was great having you on as usual, and uh, we'll be back uh, next week and to recap these games. We will. All right, everybody, enjoy the basketball, man. NCAA basketball tournament, nothing like it. Yep. All right, man. Take care. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fan Man Podcast. You can catch the Fan Man Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and most other platforms. Check out our Twitter page at the underscore fan underscore man underscore and tell me what you think. (laughs) 